Paul Steinhauser joins us live out of the gate. Hey, Google, hey, Alexa, play the pulse of an H on this Thursday morning. Paul Steinhauser live ahead of the big primary there. And he's been sort of camping out, maybe bought a condominium in Greensboro. Who knows? But Paul Steinhauser reports nationally for Fox News and us as well. Good morning, New Hampshire, the pulse of an H. Good morning, Paul. Hey, good morning from Beaufort, South Carolina, down on the sea, down by the low country here. This is where Nikki Haley was last night. Uh, and uh, I've been trailing her the last couple of days, had a chance to speak to her yesterday. She remains defiant. She remains in this race, even though she faces extremely steep odds. Jack, you've seen the polls here. They indicate that Donald Trump's going to win and win big on Saturday. Early voting ends here uh, tomorrow. Uh, w- one of the key differences between our, this state and our home state of, South, uh, of New Hampshire, independents. Independents are a huge factor in New Hampshire. Even though they can vote in the primary down here, uh, they're not nearly as much of a factor here. This is a much more conservative electorate than New Hampshire, Jack. But she remains defiant, says she's going to stay in at least until Super Tuesday. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, Paul, but thank you for the live report. But it'll be interesting to see post-South Carolina, if the polls are even 80 percent accurate and say Trump comes out of there with a big win and on to Super Tuesday and eventually the nomination, it looks like it's unstoppable. How, if the if the fences are mended at all between him and Haley, because, you know, she's sort of the one who's hung in there. He's gone at her hard. She's going at him hard. But when Trump recently sort of disclosed his short list for potential VPs, a couple of those people on that list uh, beyond the Senator Scott were Ron DeSantis. And you know how much you know how much they went back and forth. So it'll be interesting to see post this period if Nikki Haley is at some point to pull out and concede this thing to Trump, how those fences are mended, or if they are. Yeah, that's a great point. The Trump campaign, by the way, is predicting that by March 19th, the, the, the former president will clinch the nomination. Uh, yeah, Trump acknowledged that shortlist the other day at that Fox News town hall in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't know, Jack, you tell me. I just don't see it in, in a million years, uh, Trump DeSantis ticket. Uh, there's just too much bad blood there. Yeah, I, I, I would uh, not disagree. I think he's looking at Tim Scott. He may, but we'll see. All right, thank you. Thank you. Take care, Jack. All right, Paul. We'll talk. maybe catch you one more time before the, the uh, Republican primary in South Carolina. Here, we're going to switch gears. By the way, before we bring in our friends from uh, Southern New Hampshire University, our Penman Pride segment, we have a tremendous uh, New Hampshire State Police segment queued up, or uh, teed up for you, teed up like a golf course here. Their tee time will be in about 10, 15 minutes, brought to you by AutoFair. Talking about a commercial driver's class uh with great partnerships uh but before we get there our penman pride segment i want to bring in uh one of the uh great folks uh who's leading on the uh marketing side of things in terms of communication uh, teaching as a professor at uh, southern hampshire university john boroshak joins us live and john our penman pride segment is talking about a brand new podcasting class that he'll be teaching uh beginning in the fall and uh professor john joining us thanks for being with us oh thanks for having me jack how are you good thank you I'd love to I'd love to talk with you more about this because I'm intrigued. Pretty much people that do what I do, any kind of a news talk show or a talk show, you know, a podcaster associated with the, you know, the network AM and FM classic network of news talk stations we're on. And, of course, what's fascinating to me, Professor, and I want to talk about what you're teaching is we have streaming numbers each week now on my program because any smart device, Alexa, hey, Google, play the pulse of an H or Android, iPhone, desktop so we have thousands of people streaming so all this is changing as we speak but podcasts are something that a lot of people love younger people love them so i, I applaud you for uh, for getting into teaching this so what was sort of the impetus behind creating the podcasting class 
I think a lot of what you just said really was the impetus. We're seeing more people going to streaming. Even if they're listening to terrestrial radio, they're doing it usually either streaming or in their car. And what we found is podcasts have really caught on. They could listen to what they want, when they want it, where they want it. Uh, And podcasting has just allowed people to become DJs on their own or become news announcers. I, I remember back in the day when I would play with my little cassette player, start talking and pretending <laughs> to have my own radio show. And you know what? Guess what? I can do it for real now. You and I have something in common, John. I haven't met you, I don't think. If we have, please forgive me. Uh, I grew up north of Boston in a small town called Swampscott, Massachusetts. And uh, on the no school days, remember when it would snow and you had to listen before they, t- you know, people didn't have cell phones, so you had to listen to the local radio to see if Swampskid or Marblehead or Salem or, you know, if school was called off. And then I'd... Exactly. And you'd find out way earlier well, no, than I'd me. Imitate, back I'd, back I'd, in those days, I was in Yonkers, New York, so I had to wait till they got to the live. Oh, well, no, I, I'd imitate. I'd go on and do a, a newscast, and my mother would, on the cassette, and then I'd do the Boston Bruins play-by-play because I was a hockey guy, and I'd be doing that. So, John, who, tell me what kind of students you're looking for in this class, and, and why do you think podcasts are becoming more and more popular? So I think both questions can can be answered the same way. Anybody can do it. We don't have a particular type of student. I suspect the ones I'm going to get in first are going to be some of my communication majors, maybe folks who've taken public speaking and are just comfortable talking. But that really doesn't matter. Anybody can do podcasting. I think that's why it's gotten popular. And for our students, it's going to open it up to a wide range. You can do your podcast on whatever topic you want to cover. If you're a biology major, you could do a life science podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you listen to John Borishak. He's a marketing communications professor, Southern New Hampshire University. Uh, new podcast course they're teaching, which, again, I applaud Southern New Hampshire University. One, one of my critiques of some colleges, not your colleges, being innovative, being entrepreneurial. Southern New Hampshire University is constantly, in my opinion, thinking out of the box. John, talk a little bit about the co-design podcast that you and a student have started on campus um, and what that sort of taught you about um, how popular a class can be on this. Sure. So co-design is a podcast that comes out of our Center for Teaching and Learning, and it takes a look at the student experience here on campus. So that can range anywhere from a student who's involved in esports uh, coming in and talking about the esports team, and in this case, convincing us that they're athletes. We could look at what does it take to set up a student run coffee shop here on campus. We'll look at different things that tie into the life of a commuting student versus a resident student. All these types of stories and, and programming. Uh, my co host, Amanda Goyette, and I will go out, interview people and put together about a, anywhere from a 10 to a 20-minute episode featuring these folks. And Amanda wants to go into podcasting. Quick plug for her, anybody who's doing a podcast and needs an editor, we've got someone for you. Well, but I, I, I think it, it's I, just... I, yeah, no, I, it's young people like that that I want to pick their brains versus the other way around, right? Exactly. You know, they're the ones that they're the digital natives. They're comfortable with all this, this technology. Yeah. And this is another way for them to tell their stories. John, I want to talk about careers in podcasting. Before I do, though, what's your background? Because you have such a natural passion or you know uh, interest and in, in energy for this. 
So I, I was a communication major undergrad and I got an MBA. I worked in marketing, communication, and PR for 20 years, did some journalism with it. And one summer I had a job on radio. So all of this comes together. I now bring my professional experience and industry knowledge into the classroom. Yeah, and at Southern New Hampshire University must be such a fun place because, again, I think the open environment. I still remember the story Steve Boucher teed up for us once with uh, President LeBlanc where some students, this is now old story, had an idea for like a midnight munchie truck, food truck on campus because they noticed a lot of the students with cars were were going downtown to Manchester off your home campus, and they just thought if they offered some food services on campus after midnight, it might do well. And he basically, they stopped them on campus, if I have the story right, and he basically said, write it up and uh, get, you know, talk to a professor, whatever, let's do it. And that, you know, th- th- that's just awesome, you know. So I love the openness of Southern New Hampshire University. Before I let you go, what about opportunities for careers in podcasts? Because what I've noticed, John, is as someone who's been in broadcast, television, radio, my own show now over the years, uh, and streaming is changing the game, but podcast there's only it's like talking about tom brady and football or patrick mahomes if you mentioned joe rogan podcast there's so many of them you have to go really deep really narrow and deep not broad and wide uh to get a to get a to get a measurable audience it seems to me you know one thing that you're passionate about whether it's fly fishing or you know uh, you know, uh, hunting or, you know, camping, you know, some kind of hobby seems to do well, unsolved mysteries. But if you go broad, it's tough to get that big audience. Can you comment on that and a little bit on career opportunities you see? It really is a niche market. So like you said, pick a topic, pick one you do well, pick one you're passionate about, and and, and just go deep in that topic. What I'm seeing, we just got back from the PodFest down in Orlando, and we were seeing exactly that type of scenario playing out. Most of the people that are going into podcasting, especially those that are trying to monetize it, they're entrepreneurs. Right now, we're not seeing a lot of corporate jobs in podcasting. I think that's going to change. I think it's going to become part of the marketing communication mix for companies, just just like advertising and PR. And I think there are eventually going to be jobs for folks in the marketing communication arena that have that podcasting uh, experience. Good stuff. John, thank you very much. Good luck in your podcasting class. Love to get you back again soon, maybe with Amanda. We'll do another segment. Thanks, Jack. Great speaking with you. John Decker, our own White House correspondent, uh, kicking off this morning. And, John, good morning. I, uh, President Trump, we're just talking with Paul Steinhauser from Fox News in South Carolina, ahead of the primary, already talking about a short list of running mates And on the day of the New Hampshire primary, I asked former President Trump if Tim Scott was on that very short list. He said absolutely yes, but there's a few others. John, take it away. Well, it's important to keep in mind how this list came about. It came about because Laura Ingram conducting a Fox News town hall in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, posed to Donald Trump a question in which she said, uh, these rumored names are on your short list. And then she proceeded to name them. And she said, "Uh, what can you tell us about? these particular individuals, and he all had complimentary things to say about each of them, including three former opponents of Donald Trump for the Republican nomination, Senator Tim Scott, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Also, another name that uh, Laura Ingram brought up uh, was Christy Noem, the Republican governor from South Dakota. But Donald Trump did not volunteer a name himself. I think that's important to keep in mind. 
And you also, you know politics better than anybody, Jack. If you're going to be uh, thrown a name, you're not going to dismiss that name. You're not going to insult that person publicly. You're going to say they're a good person. You know, certainly they could be on my short list. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind regarding this list of names that Laura Ingram yeah. posed to Donald Trump. Although I'm just going to say this quickly, John, um, Trump is the one person who might say if you throw a name at him, <laughs> if he doesn't like the person. But your point's the same. But he didn't say it about Ron DeSantis. Which is interesting. Think about all the pushback no. about Ron DeSantis yesterday. Absolutely. Uh, they, 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 I mean, boy, they, they really went after him in a very big way. Uh, and, you know, Donald Trump did not do so personally, but the people that speak on his behalf certainly did. Oh, certainly. And if you people remember when uh, when Trump first got in, it was just he just went he went full all out on DeSantis nicknames and everything, uh, probably more so than he is against Nikki Haley. Uh, but, John, real quickly, the other thing I've noticed in the past is when they when when presidential potential, nom, you know, nominees of their own party yeah. go too far outside the lane to pick someone who hasn't been vetted recently, um, kind of an out-of-the-box choice. That doesn't always go so well either. Sometimes an opponent you've run against who's gone through the process, who's been vetted, is a safer pick, but we'll see where it goes. Well, that's right. You know, Sarah Palin, perfect example of what you're describing. Uh, And as it relates to Donald Trump's uh, first time around, he chose Mike Pence, someone who certainly had been vetted serving as governor of Indiana, former congressman, uh, so the, the vetting had already taken place for an establishment politician like Mike Pence. All right. Thank you, John Decker, our own White House correspondent. Thanks, All right. Our New Hampshire State Police segment is uh, a little bit delayed. We'll get, we have plenty of time, though, in the next uh, segment or two. Brought to you by AutoFair. And delighted to bring in, we have a great uh, group in our studio, Staff Sergeant Carl Huddleston, Troop G, New Hampshire State Police, working and coordinating with everyone from the Department of Motor Vehicles, as well as the federal side of things on transportation to really... Look about getting uh, safe, safer drivers for commercial operation, if you will, transportation, commercial drivers. Sergeant, thank for, thanks for being here. Tell us about this. Well, good morning, and thank you for having us on this morning. Yeah, we're um, partnering with New Hampshire DMV and the Federal Motor Carrier Administration, as well as New Hampshire Look Enforcement, to get uh, some information out about um, what you can and cannot do with um, alcohol in a commercial motor vehicle. And uh, a lot of people don't know um, that it's um, against the regulations to actually carry this in a commercial motor vehicle unless it happens to be uh, a manifested load from somebody that distributes this stuff. It's, um, it's, not, it's not allowed. And uh, one of the things that we're working on with the partners that I just um, mentioned is um, an outreach program. Um, we've put um, some posters up in the New Hampshire liquor stores. Uh, we're continuing to do that, and uh, speaking with uh, Director Morasco and um, Steve Pawlowski from the Federal Motor Carrier Administration, you know, this is something that's going to be going nationwide now, is that we're trying to get this message out that, you know, you can't do this. And there is a substantial uh, penalty if if you do get caught with this stuff. And, um, you know, a lot of people just don't know that. And, again, trying to get the word out, and, you know, on the commercial side of this, if if you get caught with alcohol in in a commercial motor vehicle, um, the driver's out of service for twenty four hours. Um, yep. Can't can't drive. Can't can't do anything on the commercial side. And you know, depending on where you are in in the country or in in New Hampshire, if the if the company can't get a, another driver there in a re- reasonable amount of time, the vehicle's going to get towed. Mm-hmm. Um, the driver's going to get a ticket. They're going to have to go to court. 
um, you know, it affects a lot of things, and it can affect um, the the carriers or the motor carriers' uh, insurance cost. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there's a huge um, problem. And potential employment. I mean, oh know. yeah, um, and May- this stuff stays on your record. You know, you go to right. apply someplace else because you got terminated because of this, and, and they're going to see that. Um, you know, one of the requirements if you uh, apply to work someplace, they have to contact your previous um, employers going mm-hmm. back at least three years to see, you know, what your driving history is and why you got uh, terminated. And that's a big hit. Yeah. And we're trying to, you know, we're trying to avoid that. And over the last two years, you know, we, we've identified 20 CMV drivers that have been cited for this. And those are the ones that we've caught. Yeah. And, you know, you see a big truck at a um, New Hampshire liquor store, uh, you sort of wonder what, what they're doing. Um, you, you know, it, it it's not a good thing. And, again, I've got um, Steve Plosky and Director right. Morasco here, and I, I'm sure they, they've got right. a couple of things to say on this matter as well. Let me switch to Steve just to explain how, how does the New Hampshire, you know, the Division of Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, what is that, who is that, how do you work with the uh, the state officials? So we're, we're a uh, – we're a – uh, modal administration under the U.S. Department of Transportation, and we were established in 1935, believe it or not. We became our own in, uh, modal administration in 2000. So a lot of people think we're new. We're really not. Um, regulating the trucking industry and enforcing the rules uh, that apply to them has been a long-standing program. How we work with our state partners uh, is through a grant program mm-hmm. um, as from CDL program improvement grants in MixApp, Motor Carrier Safety Assistance Program Grants, which is state police. Um, state police here is our lead agency. Troop G is responsible for carrying out that mission. Yep. And uh, our partnership, I mean, is exemplary, personally. I mean, it's it's great how we work together, how we anticipate right. problems, and uh, how we're trying to get ahead of things. Not only do we um, participate in outreach, but we also sponsor, through state police, a... Um, an educational program first Thursday of the month, mm-hmm. um, 6 p.m. at state police headquarters will educate new motor carriers uh, to all the rules it, and regs and their responsibilities. Well, one of the other things I wanted to mention, too, is that this is all about public safety. You know, sa- safer drivers, mm-hmm. um, whether they be in a passenger vehicle or a commercial vehicle, it's all about public safety. Mm-hmm. If we can eliminate one one bad, um, you know, traffic incident i think we're we're doing good so it's, it's all about right. public safety oh we're bringing uh director of uh motor vehicles john marasco uh and director uh, marasco thanks for being here real quickly what what what's your what's your take because uh, you oversee all motor vehicles but commercial side of things big part of the roadways out there big part of people's lives big part of our being consumers to get goods uh new england's a busy area so commercial side what do you think of this program and we're, we're going to take a short break after you and then we come back i think on the enforcement side uh we have chief mark armaganian is going to join us as well with new hampshire liquor enforcement but director morasco what's your take on all this this collaboration oh thank you jack and good morning nice to see you and j-dog and thank you for having me here um i think it speaks to um being proactive if you look at the fact that um, all of the agencies are coming together federal motor carrier the state police liquor enforcement the dmv what we're trying to do here is get the information out so somebody doesn't make a mistake, to reinforce what they should already know, so that way the things that Sergeant Huddleston spoke about hopefully never happen. Hopefully they know enough, don't buy the alcohol, don't have the alcohol in the cab, 
um, don't consume the alcohol, and um, and then that way you avoid all of the things that Carl spoke to. I want to thank Steve for highlighting this. You know, through the federal government, he's seen this time and time again, and through our regular meetings, he's brought it up. And uh, a campaign can be as simple as getting all the right people around the table and figuring out, okay, how are we going to get the message out? And in this case, it started as simply as uh, developing a couple posters. I want to thank our public information officer at the DMV, Cameron Conley, for doing that, uh, putting them in frames, and then going out and uh, putting them up in the liquor stores and hooks it, making a social media post out of that. And we intend to do that throughout the state. And, and as Steve said, um, this is something that uh, appears as though it's going to go nationally. So well, it started say, right here yeah. in New Hampshire. Yeah, Staff Sergeant said that, that this might be a national program, and, and that's the kind of thing you must like because you've worked with you know, overall public safety as a major now with motor vehicles. These are the types of things you, know, you like to probably see. I love it. And you know, to, um, to Steve's point about uh, collaboration and the partnerships that we have, um, we get together all the time, and uh, we're always talking about how we can do better. And um, the agencies just interact very, very well. We like each other very much, and um, that's how you put wins on the board. Good stuff. Hold on. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to bring in the enforcement side of this because Staff Sergeant talked about you know, the consequences, you know, if a tractor, if a, if a commercial driver is pulling something from a manufacturer or distributor, that's one thing. But if, if there's any consumption or personal use, you know, people want to spread the word. Back with that and more, our New Hampshire State Police Public Safety segment brought to you by Autofair back in a moment. We have a great segment on commercial drivers and any, you know, by the way, if you want to ask a quick question, we, we might be able to squeeze in if you're a commercial operator and you want to comment on this, 603-228-2080. Our New Hampshire State Police segment each week brought to you by AutoFair. I want to bring in uh, Staff Sergeant uh, Huddleston again to sort of tee this up. And uh, we have on the line, uh, our listener lines, uh, Chief Mark Armaganian, a regular on the show. He's head of liquor enforcement, partnering in this effort. So, Staff Sergeant Huddleston, I, I want to give Mark Armaganian enough time because, you know, we know he never likes to go long. And also, uh, I, the our federal side of things, I guess, played football with uh, Chief Armaganian, uh, and he was a great place kicker, I guess, in football. But Staff Sergeant, could you maybe maybe tee up the program again? Sure. Uh, what we're talking about uh, is is an, a campaign that uh, we've uh, collaborated on about trying to get um, some industry outreach and uh, information out to our commercial motor vehicle drivers about the prohibition about having um, alcohol in a commercial motor vehicle. And that's where... Um, the collaboration between DMV, FMCSA, and liquor enforcement is great. And uh, I want to thank um, Chief Armaganian for, for participating in this today, and uh, I'm sure he's probably got some great information uh, for us as well. Chief, take it away. Thank you, Jack. Well, uh, as you know, and, and we've talked uh, very often about this, I am truly blessed to have uh, a network of friends um, that uh, – actually equals the success of what we're working on today. Um, you know, my, my time over at the state police, my, the field command I had uh, prior to investigative services was oversight of uh, Troop G and the regulatory component over there uh-huh. and rekindling an old, old friendship with Steve Pulaski, uh, who, as you know now, uh, the secret's out. He was my quarterback back in college. So, um, now, can I so interrupt, it, uh, Chief? It, just a quick question, Chief. My understanding is you just came off some shoulder surgery, which couldn't have come from being a place kicker. <laughs> no, no. Being a fullback and an outside linebacker. Oh, okay. I thought it was. Full. I thought you told me you were a place kicker. No, okay. Uh, but uh, you I'll can tell. You can tell. Now. I missed you. I haven't seen you in a while. 
I know. And I'm missing out on the photo op for you not being there. So can you Photoshop me in after you guys are done? But, so, Chief, I'm, but, I'm, the, I'm the one who's making uh, having fun because I, I, I think the world of you, uh, this is a great group of people. What you think of the collective years of experience on this segment here and what it means for public safety. But, Chief, absolutely. maybe talk a little bit about what the staff sergeant said. People are not aware of the consequences of personal absolutely. transportation on the commercial side of liquor versus, say, hauling a load. Can you talk about that? Absolutely, I can, and uh, and and thank you for that opportunity. I I think the public um, we're so responsible in the six hundred three, and what what we have a tendency to forget is we're we're a destination state also, and and people have to understand as they travel through our state as visitors or they they reside here that they have an understand uh, they have to have an understanding. To know what their obligations are and their obligations are when it comes to alcohol to drink to service responsibly to drink responsibly and to purchase responsibly and and when that happens that's our threshold crossing over to fmcsa and and administrator Pulowski's, uh group because as he will say that and and carl said so eloquently is it is illegal to have alcoholic beverages not only in the passenger compartment or in the tractor of of the commercial motor vehicle, the CMV, but it is also, if it isn't on a, uh, uh, a ledger um, as commodity that through commerce is being transported, it is also illegal to have it the trailer too. So, so, as you know, our success in this new liquor enforcement has been education. And, and when uh, Director Morasco, longtime personal friend and work colleague, um, and brought this, this group of friends together who actually crossed over in disciplines with each other and, and were actually able to fulfill our obligation in educating this state. And, and this is one of those things that, you know, let's be honest about it. Um, you don't know about it because it isn't talked about every day of the week. Um, and and it's like I always say, you know, those years of working the highways and byways of this state, you stop something, someone for, for speed in this state, and they don't know why. Um, why they, they only know why they're traveling fast on the highway and they, they are going over the speed limit for the reasons that they have in their head, which – has a huge magnitude, late for a game, going to pick up kids, whatever it is, the hustle and bustle of New Hampshire and the rest of our country. But at the same time, the the consequences are there as a deterrent because people need to know why it's illegal to travel fast. And if they don't know why and, and the safety factors that are breached and the amount of people that are harmed by by reckless driving out there, they're going to continue to do it. So what we have said is when, when we put this new administration together over at Liquor Enforcement is people understand the happiness and, and the parties that go along with the consumption of alcohol, but they may not know all the adverse effects of consuming alcohol irresponsibly. Yeah. And, and that was what we were going to do. We were going to go out. We were going to push our platform. So when John, Steve, Carl, and, and uh, Jim came to us, um, and said they want to push this initiative out, it, it was so easy. I don't even think I took a second right. to hesitate. I just said, let's do it. 
And and Staff Sergeant Huddleston, thank you, Chief Armageni. And uh, just one more time, because maybe some people weren't listening, just what the consequences can be for improper distribution of alcohol as a commercial operator. Well, there there are a couple, and uh, the first and foremost is um, I just want to make sure people understand that that's this is not just a tractor trailer. This is any commercial vehicle. So uh, a one-ton dump truck, for example, used by a landscaper is in the game. If it's greater than 10,000 pounds, it's in the game. So, yeah, um, roadside, if, if, it's, if it's discovered, yeah, the driver's put out of service for 24 hours. If you can't get another driver there in a reasonable amount of time, the vehicle's going to get towed. And depending on the size of the vehicle, that's a, that can be a couple grand um, to have a vehicle towed. Uh, you know, yeah. it, it negatively infects the safety rating of, of the company. On the federal side, um, companies' insurance costs are based partly on their safety rating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, depending on what what type of uh, industry you're in, you can get terminated for this. Yeah. And, you know, it has a lasting effect. Yeah, you're going to end up going to court. If you're found guilty, you know, you're going to pay a fine at a minimum. Um, and, you know, you may have some time off from work. So, you know, Again, as Chief Armageddon said, this is this is a um, an educational thing that we're trying to push out, and um, a- anytime we have the opportunity to do that, we have a great working relationship. Um, as Director Morasco had said, between uh, DMV, Liquor Enforcement, Federal Motor Carrier, and, and the State Police, it's great to have um, both Director Morasco and uh, Chief Armageddon. Uh, I worked with them when they were in our command staff, so. Um, as Mark said, the minute this this came up, everybody was on board with it. You know, we're trying to get the message out. You know, we want zero violations of this, and this is part of the pro- the process that we're right. going through to try to get this. All right, final words, uh, Director Morasco, and on the federal side, I appreciate this a great segment. Uh, final words. Oh, thank you, Jack. Um, we're just proud to be part of it. You know, the, the DMV is the birthplace of the driver's license to include the commercial driver's license and to be part of something that um, when people are successful, when they come through and do the testing at the DMV, uh, to be part of something that keeps them successful throughout the course of their livelihoods, uh, we're proud to be part of that. And I do want to thank all of the DMV uh, commercial driving license examiners who do these tests uh, multiple times a week. And uh, they're out there in all elements, and right. uh, they make this happen. So I want to thank them. And uh, on the federal side of things, any final thoughts or information or follow-up? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Jack. And just just one message similar to uh, texting and driving, uh, purchase of alcohol from a CMV driver. It can wait. Wait till you're done your day. Get in your private vehicle when you're on your own time. Good point. Um, don't get jammed up because it has a great impact on your company and as, and as you as a license holder. And, so. and you're, you're a profession, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and it can wait. You know, we're trying to save lives. You're, they're the front line. Those drivers are the front line in our, in our quest to save lives and reduce crashes. And I have found over time they tend to be some of the best operators out there because it is their livelihood. Absolutely. You know, they're on the road. They're away from their families. And as you just said, it can wait. All right. Thank you all very much, Chief Armageddon. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And thank you, uh, Jack. our friends at Auto Fair, thank you very much. Auto Fair, New Hampshire State Police, thank you. Lucas Meyer on this shorter week. Nice looking Thursday out there. Yeah, actually, she's got some sun holding on, milder temperatures moving in. Lucas has some meetings in our uh, political analyst side of things. And. Straight to the Dome, Lucas Meyer, one of the uh, leading uh, Democrat strategists and analysts uh, and advisors out there. Good morning, Lucas. How are you? A, a beautiful day indeed. I feel like now we're entering that like psychological torture of New Hampshire winter where we're on the precipice of spring and it'll feel a little warm and then we'll probably get 
another foot of snow in a couple of weeks or something. So we enter we enter that period of life. There you go. Uh, Lucas, you're one of the things that you and I haven't talked about, but I think at the House today you're voting on a bill to legalize marijuana for greater recreational use, and the proposal would be you'd buy it from certain state-sanctioned centers or locations. Um, and it, it's, it feels like this could pass the House, and then the big question is going to be two questions, Lucas. The Senate? And Governor Sununu, if he were to veto something, if it hit his desk. What are your thoughts on this bill? I mean, talk about a perpetual head-scratcher in New Hampshire that marijuana isn't uh, legalized in the state for recreational use. Uh, but you are right that there does, you know, for whatever reason, there is finally some more momentum behind this bill. Um, there was a special committee that met over the summer and the fall to figure out the best recommendation for this legislative session the very last day of that special committee's meeting, the governor's office came in with a slew of new requirements for his support and sort of upended the table, and they still introduced the bill that came from that committee this session. So the House has always been a very strong supporter of legal marijuana, uh, so that should, that should pass relatively uneventfully with a big bipartisan vote. The Senate, you're right, traditionally what, what um, you- has been... What do you think? What do you think on this makeup of this Senate? Oh, I think it's like more possible than ever. I still think it's 50-50. I mean, you have Jeb Bradley, uh, you know, the leader in the Senate for Republicans saying, maybe I like it, maybe I don't. We'll see how we amend it. And then the governor's office comes back into play during these Senate negotiations because if the Senate, if the governor wants to stop it before getting to him, what poison pills do they put in here? But this is like, this is a crazy conversation, Jack. Like, every state around us has legalized it. People from the state are crossing the border every day to buy and spend their tax dollars in other states for this product. And, like, we're wasting a ton of money in criminal justice and keeping people locked up or having useless investigations into dime bags when there are definitely bigger fish to fry here. So this is a real head scratcher well, to me, but hopeful. Let's do this. Let's play this out a little more. Lucas Meyer straight to the dome with some Democrat thoughts on what's happening, a Democrat uh, strategist. Let's assume it squeaks by the Senate. What does Governor Sununu do on this? Outgoing uh, governor, outgoing governor, he's decriminalized possession for small amounts, greater, uh, you know, expanded, mar- uh, you know, marijuana for uh, med- medicinal use, but still held, held short on the overall recreation like other states. What do you think if this were to land on his desk? What do you think he'd do? Yeah, it depends what it looks like, but if I was a betting man, I'd say he'd find some bureaucratic reason to veto it um, because I don't actually think he supports it. I think uh, so. I think he would find some reason in like between the lines of like, oh, they didn't listen to this recommendation. This one piece isn't good enough. You know, something about who can own the stores. I also think there are. I am not a lawyer, but there's something to me about state employees breaking federal law that doesn't totally. I don't know. I don't know how those two will connect. Um, so uh, I think there's a, a, a lot of work to be done here. I think it's incredibly frustrating. And I think a lot of people are really frustrated that we're still having this conversation. Um, there's obviously a smart way to do this. Like, we're implementing this pretty late in the game relative to the region. So we should be able to figure out best practices and learn from how other states have perhaps hiccuped in their implementation. But I still think this, is, this gets back right. to another challenge in the state, the average age of the legislature. A lot of these folks 
you know, still are living in a reefer madness reality when a lot of folks my age, and even like folks who are 50, 60, are starting to understand like having a gummy at the end of the day isn't the worst thing. Um, so hopeful to see uh, some progress on this. I also think getting more young people elected into office to give a more realistic perspective into the both, you know, criminal justice, economic, and personal freedom reasons for this. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully we'll start to see some changes there. All right, what else is catching your eye at the Statehouse, Lucas Meyer? So that's somewhat similar in that, like, weird, you know, double-take um, attitude of kind of what what's happening here. Um, there was a hearing in election law in the House this week for a bill uh, to enter New Hampshire into the Electronic Registration Information Center, which is a uh, state-run database to check uh, voter checklists. These people have moved between states, moved within a state, if they've died, if they voted in two places. It basically helps states across the country clean up their voter rolls, catch voter fraud, reach out to eligible voters, make sure they know how to vote. Something states like Georgia enjoy, Oklahoma enjoy, but also every other New England state. Um, and at the hearing for this, you know, you heard Republicans start to say, well, we don't really need to join this because voter fraud, you know, we don't. I don't think that's a big problem. I don't want to spend money trying to sort it out. And I was like, whoa, what is happening here? I thought I thought this was the problem, and I thought this was the solution to answer that problem. So it's sort of that you know, whiplash a little bit in the legislature where if for some reason politics can find their way into weird places. Um, but hopeful that we can see that bill move forward, so I think – Everyone has a lot of confidence in our elections, mm-hmm. um, and they should. And the UNH survey came out this week saying, yeah, people have a lot of confidence in our elections. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't do, keep doing everything we can to continue to improve voter confidence and continue yeah. to enfranchise voters. So I'm hopeful to see that get some more bipartisan momentum. But whether that passes or not, I think that's a, that's a long journey. All right, Lucas, uh, thanks for squeezing us in. I know you get a busy morning. If people want to contact you, follow up, what's the best way? Lucas S. Meyer on Twitter or CatalystAdvocacy.com. Appreciate it, Jack. Thank you, Lucas. Neil Levesque, Executive Director, Institute of Politics, St. Anselm College, one of our political analysts and all-stars. Good morning, Neil. Good morning. Sorry I'm late. I No. I, I have AT&T, and I actually tried calling the station multiple times. Are you and serious? Go through. Yeah. Yeah, so I had to find a landline. Do you think the, um, the, the kind of hidden markers in Rye Harbor have anything to do with that? <laughs> Well, as everyone knows, when the, when you're at the beach in the New Hampshire Seacoast, you can't make a make a cell call because you know. No, no, there had to be some. There's only 150,000 people there. Neil, talk about Donald Trump, Nikki Haley, the final pitch in South Carolina. It seems that everything that Nikki Haley's throwing up on the wall there to do better isn't sticking. No, and we've seen this for the last year. It didn't matter if it's Nikki Haley or anybody else. Um. If you the you no one has really been able to take a Trump voter or Trump supporter and take them away from Donald Trump. There's just no recipe, no question, no no contrasting thing, no thirty second television ad that has worked and it's not even working in our home state. Um, and you know, at this point he's probably a twenty five percent lead by Trump uh going into Saturday. And keep in mind, though, that only about 15 to 20 percent um, of voters are expected to turn out in South Carolina. This is the state that wants the first-in-the-nation primary, remember, and uh, only 15 percent participate, unlike New Hampshire that has the highest voter turnouts mm-hmm. uh, in the high 60s, say. So um, 
we are looking forward to it. You know, she loses by that much. She's saying she's going to continue on. Um, you know, part of this is if you have the money to do so, you need fuel to basically go and, and have a campaign running. Um, but she doesn't seem to be letting up at all, and uh, that's her right to do so. And then, I mean, it just seems that this is Trump's unstoppable. It seems that the same tr- is true on with Joe Biden on the Democrat side. It really comes back to a story that no one's talking about. We had a guest yesterday talking about this. is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., now that Manchin's not going to make an independent run. Christie may do it under the no labels thing, but no labels seems to be, in my humble opinion, nowhere on the field. So my question is, can Kennedy cut enough as an independent? Can he get on the ballot in states like New Hampshire as an independent candidate or not? Does he have enough signatures? How does that work, Neil? Every state is different, and there's 50 states, and it's very hard to get on the ballot as an independent. Uh, and it's designed that way because two-party system wants it that, that way, and you don't necessarily want to have somebody who could be a spoiler. That being said, you don't know, even with a famous Kennedy name, if those votes are going to get taken away from Trump or they're going to get taken away from Biden or both. Um, you know, some polling has shown that Kennedy's candidacy as an independent would take away from Trump, being that he's sort of a libertarian streaked, I don't know what you'd call Democrat. Um, but um, it remains to be seen whether or not someone would take away. You know, we've seen this in the past where Ross Perot seemed to take a lot away from George Herbert Walker Bush in 92, and, uh, you know, obviously Jill Stein, uh, Ralph Nader, uh, those are people that um, are not invited to the Al Gore Christmas party because he probably would have won if it wasn't for those two people. All right, what else is catching your eye? When are we going to see the, gu- the gubernatorial race really start to heat up? A couple months, early spring, what do you think? May, April, when, when does this really, really get going? Well, for those of us in politics, it's already very, very hot. And these candidates are going around the state, and they're getting activists, and they're getting donors right now. They're trying to build up support. It's sort of under the radar. But it's important when you file these reports that you have the kind of support uh, going into the filing period, which is in June, that shows that you're going to have the ability to keep running right on through November. So, um the ability to raise money, the ability to get support from different areas of the state, uh, have people sign on, that's all going on. And there is, you know, the exciting thing is, is finally in New Hampshire this, there's a Democratic primary. Uh, Cindy Warmington's out there. Uh, she made headlines yesterday uh, regarding her executive council questioning of the adjutant general. And former Mayor Craig is out there campaigning too. So, I think there's a lot of activity. I think it's going to heat up. I think this is going to be really fun uh, to see, and I think there's going to be a lot of contrasting ideas about the future of the state. All right. Neil Levesque, Institute of Politics, San Anselm College on a Thursday. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Jack. Aaron Real, MBC News Radio, national correspondent now, joining us talking about the shelf life of appliances. Are they lasting as long? Uh, The quality. Take it away, Aaron. They are not. No, they are not. (laughs) So basically what we're seeing is that American households, they have to spend more, 43% more, on home appliances than they did in in 2023 than compared to 2013. It doesn't mean they're getting a better product. So what we're seeing is that if you peel back the plastic on these modern refrigerators, washing machines, ovens, you name it, you're going to see a smattering of sensors, switches. They did not exist in the 10-year-old counterparts. 
So when something fails, it, finding the problem is half the battle. And then these machines, they're also more likely to be made with plastic and aluminum rather than steel. And this is because these high-efficiency motors, um, are they need to be lighter duty because they're tasked with drawing less energy. So by design, they're flimsier. All of this leads up to a product that is not going to stand the test of time. All I know is um, my smarter, prettier, better half is a very talented home designer, and we were doing over our current home. I'll never forget when the appliance, the you know, the truck came. I happened to be at home for the, the refrigerator. And I don't know much about, like, the difference between what kind of oven or refrigerator or dishwasher. You know, I've heard of some names. But when the, the, the guy, that the team was delivering the refrigerator, they go, wow, this is, like, top-notch. And I'm like, it is. It just looks like a silver, you know, aluminum-type metal refrigerator. He goes, no, sub-zero. That's this is the good stuff. I go, I didn't. What are you talking about? I don't know the difference. So I don't know the difference in a lot of appliances today, but you would think that a good appliance should last, I don't know, better part of uh, 10, 15 years? I, I don't know. I, I don't even know what the shelf life of an appliance would be a good question for presidential candidates, although I don't think some could answer it. But anyway. No, and you're right. And listen, here's the thing. I have no doubt. You know the, the expression, like, I don't know it for a fact. I just know it to be true. Watch. <laughs> In five to ten years, there is going to be a return to simplicity. Like, uh, no one – you don't need a smart dryer. Like, it's yeah. fine. I'll come find the spin cycle when it's done. It doesn't need to come to me. Like, it's it just so – there's just too much. It's over-engineering. And yeah. I would bet that we are going to see a luxury item that has one button – one sensor, yeah. one potential problem. They'll make it beautiful, but it won't be. We don't need this much engineering in our products. We don't need this much in our cars. I can't tell you how often I'm walking through the Trader Joe's parking lot and I'm like, "That car's on. That car's on." <laughs> it's and no one's in them. It's just like it's so many people forget to press the button. It, yep. It's it's, it's over engineering to justify headcount that frankly doesn't need to be where it is. Well, Aaron, there's your retirement job. You can start that simple luxury appliance business. Thank you. <laughs> Take care, Jack. Send an email to Samsung. New ideas. Thank you. Dr. Vic, I don't even know what country, what state he's in. He kind of moves around. <laughs> he moves around like, you know, there's been a lot of songs about like this stuff. He moves around like, I don't know what. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, Jack, I'm, except I'm in Florida today. Beautiful oh, nice. morning. Uh, at an event where I'm speaking tomorrow morning uh, to a bunch of dentists. But wow. uh, no cell phone coverage. I'm calling you on the Wi-Fi calling feature of my phone. Yeah, because of that. What subject are you going to drill down on for the dentist tomorrow? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's actually a good one. i got to write that down, Jack. All right. I like uh, it. <laughs> Dr. Vic, host of Navigating Uncertainty, his latest book, The Generalist Part, great contributor, regular friend, and contributor of the show. Uh, Dr. Vic, before we begin, I, I want to ask you just if it's me, because I'm, I'm on this kick. I'm just amazed by the, the psychology of the blatant po po politics or political activism of the national media. Mm -hmm. All this stuff about the border, immigration now, really a crisis. Most people realize it. We know the election's coming up. So all this talk about a border bill and all this. Now, all of a sudden, this administration, Joe Biden, are contemplating what Trump did, making it tougher to break into the country as an, an illegal migrant and seek asylum. Now, all of a sudden, they're, they're looking at this. What have they done for three and a half? What have they done for more than three years? And why is no one asking that question in the national media? They could have done this two years ago, a year yeah, ago. Yeah, they've done nothing. No, look, let's be blunt, honest, direct, and straightforward. They've done nothing. The border crisis is – in fact, the only thing they did do 
let's admit what they did do. They unwound some of the executive orders that President Trump had put in place that were working, maybe not perfect, but they were better than we are today. And they unwound it. That's the only thing they've done. Well, it's even worse. When Texas or Arizona have done what they had to do, this administration's Department of Justice threatened the state of Texas to undo that. I know. Yeah. No, it's infuriating. So well, what, why, isn't the, the, why isn't this raised by ABC, CBS? Why isn't this pointed out? Jack, I wish I had an answer for you. What I think we have here, this is a bigger reason, and in fact I do touch on it in my book, for some of the polarization and sort of the the, the filter bubble and the echo chambers that exist across American media, is media outlets have gotten audiences that align with certain views, and then they feed those views to those audiences. They don't want to lose the attention. They don't want to do what media used to do, which was present facts and reality and let the American people see it and make it, uh, you know, just present it without a politics, without any partisan dynamics. And I think that sort of segmentation of the audiences Online made it even worse. Social media made yeah. it even worse. And people don't hear alternative views. So people that watch certain media outlets probably don't even think there's a media, there's a crisis at the border. Some yeah. of them may actually doubt whether there has been. Oh, right? I've heard people say, oh, no, I've look at when I posted stuff like a few weeks ago, a month ago, when I got the ICE stats for 2023 of violent criminal offenders who came into this country illegally. Yeah. And ICE had to round them up and go through the battle courts in Boston and New York to deport them. I'd have people yeah. put on there, there's no border crisis. This is being manufactured by the right or Trump. There's no border crisis. People yeah. would well, say Jack, that. Well, Jack, as you remember, one of the things that I – well, I always do this, and you make fun of me for it, but I like it, and I love you for doing it. I never but make fun I, of anyone, <laughs> including you. I go to see with my own two eyes. Like, I insist on doing that because, yes, I see the media. I look at different media outlets. I try to get sort of reality by triangulating from multiple sources online, on the TV, etc. But I actually went down to the border. I saw the holes cut. This was during my campaign for the Senate. I went down. I saw the holes cut in the border wall. I saw people crossing. We saw clothing left behind. We saw... I literally saw this. I went over into Juarez, um, where yeah. you saw yeah, right the, near El the Paso. criminal activity. Yeah, right near yes. El Paso. Yep. So I did this with my own two eyes. Like, and so, yes, you're right. The media segments, and they tell different stories for different reasons. But it's getting I so blatant. Tell. It's getting so bad. Like the border bill, they didn't yeah. report once. The Democrats also opposed it. They made it all about the Republicans. They didn't talk about the aid crammed in there for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Yeah. When they blamed it on Trump. And they didn't even point out that in any given day, the Secretary of Homeland Security wouldn't be mandated to do anything unless 4,500 people crossed over illegal in a day. Why Where the? Why is that a good bill? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I, I haven't gone through it, but I hear exactly what you're saying, and, and I get it. Um, but here's the problem. The media it's, it's doesn't go... It's political football, Jack. It's political football. But wait, 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 wait. You, hit upon, you hit upon something. The media doesn't go through the bill, and members of Congress who vote on it don't read it. <laughs> I know. I know this, Jack. I, I feel a little bit like old school because I read these things before I comment on them. Wow. Like, I actually try to understand things. But look, it's political football. It's a blame game. Hey, border's a problem. Let's put something up there and be able to say they voted against it, right? That's the game. That's what some of these folks are doing. And so I think when you throw that out there and you put that context on top of it, it's sort of, 
you know, you lose a sense of there's no reality. People get distorted in these perceptions and they miss the fact that we don't have a border. Like, that's a reality. I yeah. saw it. Like, yeah. I mean, that's true. Right. So pure facts actually will help people if people went and saw it with their own two eyes rather than actually doing this. And I wish members of Congress did. I mean, I wish, you know, elected officials actually went and saw it. our governor, Governor Sununu did like it's useful to see it with your own eyes, get rid of the distortion and perceptions that the media put on top. By the way, both direction distortions. Uh, let's go down there and see it. And you recognize there's a crisis. Like, I, that's it. Fact. Yep. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say the other thing that goes on with the, the media thing, and you'll you'll actually appreciate this, Jack. They work in weird ways. So I've been digging into what's happening in the energy sector. Right. Why have so I had a client that asked me a simple question. Why have oil prices not skyrocketed given the Middle East tensions, the shipping issues, the canals, the Houthi attacks, etc.? We would have expected oil prices to have gone through. Well, it turns out America has covertly – I say this covertly because Biden does not want to be known as doing this. Yeah. We've grown U.S. energy production over the last few years at a rate where we are producing more than I think we ever have through shale. and We don't want to talk about that. No, because that. The, the, the so-called nuts that want to throw paint on a Rembrandt, you know. That's right. Oil um, paint. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 right. yeah. All right, what's, no, uh, what's on Navigating Uncertainty? So I think uh, we're, we're a little backlog, J-Dog said. He was telling me yep. that you guys have bumped it a couple weeks because of the Bruins, which I get. I understand the Bruins are fun to listen to, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I think J-Dog thinks they're more fun than my stuff, but I get it. Uh, so this week, actually, who I interviewed, I'll tell you, when it plays, I'm not sure. It'll drop as a podcast here in the next hour. Uh, Terry McDonald. Terry is the managing director of New England Disabled Sports, the adaptive ski program awesome. up awesome. at Loon Mountain. Awesome. And I wanted to give her an opportunity to share the story. So um, she tells us not only about her personal background growing up in Campton and sort of being in that whole area her whole life, but about the amazing work that takes place at New England Disabled Sports, where you know, Jack, I am a volunteer yeah. coach, yeah. and my daughter has skied in for the last eight or nine years. Awesome. So she's the guest. Really inspiring, fun story about how NEDS, uh, New England Disabled Sports, yep, they yep. go by NEDS. They are working at Bretton Woods as well as at Loon, helping disabled vets, helping blind individuals, deaf individuals, amputees, kids with cognitive or other special needs, autism spectrum kids. They are all able to get out there and they try to teach them how to ski, and they've succeeded with almost everyone who puts in the time. All right, and good luck with the book, The Generalist. Thank you, Dr. Vick. We'll catch you All in right, person thanks, next Jack. week. All, All right. right, thanks. Bye. Rory O'Neill, NBC News Radio, national correspondent on this Thursday. Good morning, Rory. How are you? I'm doing well, Jack. How are you? You can hear me? My phone call's getting through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, despite that uh, whatever's going on down there in the AT&T or whatever the glitch is. Yep. Yeah, well, mostly AT&T. Well, we know most people, we know most people, have been racking up the credit cards. We know most families rely on credit cards to pay the bills now. We most more, more most I think the average is six thousand or more on a card. Maybe ten thousand is more normal. And I know that a lot of people may not have the emergency rainy day fund anymore. So take it away, Rory. Yeah, a new survey out this morning by Bankrate finds that a third of us, well, thirty six percent of us, actually have more credit card debt than we do emergency savings. And the most financial experts recommend at least three, preferably six months of your salary set aside just in case for that rainy day fund. 
only about 44% of American adults could pay an emergency expense of $1,000. About a third would have to pile on more debt by putting it on a credit card. And this is the real shocker. Two-thirds, 66% of U.S. adults, if they were to lose their job on Friday, 66% don't think they have enough money to pay one month of bills. That's what I'm hearing. And, and you know, people, this, 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 I think it's BS, this BS about the inflation is coming down. We've gone through a couple years now at least of very high prices across the board. Nothing, Nothing's come down. Food, groceries, and, you know, people's salaries don't rise with the rate of inflation. So I think people are feeling the pinch. I agree with you. Yeah, I think chicken is the only thing that sort of came back down after the bird flu problem. But, uh, yeah, otherwise, uh, the prices at the supermarket are up and staying up. And then, as we saw from the president, even in his Super Bowl commercial, I guess you'd call it, uh, complaining about shrinkflation with us paying the same and and getting less product. All right. Thank you, Rory. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. Good morning, New Hampshire. Powered by Sig Sauer. Now, back to Jack Heath on the Pulse of New Hampshire. All right, welcome back on a uh, pretty good-looking Thursday. And um, Phil Taub, one of our regular contributors and friends and partners out there in our studios and always like to have Phil in because he can, he can talk, talk, we can talk public policy like Dr. Vick, or we can segue into veterans issues. And, you know, Phil, we were talking during the break and I know you were just down in Florida with a lot of um, our friends, your very close friends on the Navy SEAL side of things. And of course the great museum in Fort Pierce, Florida, the national Navy SEAL museum there. But with all the talk going on, Biden, Trump, Haley, Trump, South Carolina, Biden, Trump, Washington, all the stuff, isn't it amazing still how little chatter or focus or talk we hear from people about veterans and supporting our veterans? And, you know, we just had 26-year-old Captain Jack Casey his remains returned home to Dover. You had noted that on your stuff for Swim of the Mission. He was the Marine helicopter uh, young captain who was one of five who died in that training or the uh, helicopter crash um, that in the mountains outside of San Diego a few weeks ago. But we don't really, we don't really as a country, unless we're doing something here at home or, you know, the, the veteran stuff comes in and out of focus, doesn't it? Thanks for bringing that up, Jack. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you know how frustrated I am about that. It, it's just, we just can't get into the national na- narrative, you know, and we live in a very dangerous world. And look at what China's doing and Russia and fighting in the Ukraine. We've got Israel. We have hostages, you know, that are still Americans that were taken hostage, still sitting in Gaza. And all of this comes at such a heavy price, right? And we still can't get this international narrative. The VA is the second largest budget after after DOD. And uh, not all of our veterans can get the help they need from the VA. Or of course, some do. Some do great. But a lot of our veterans can't. A lot of our veterans are struggling. In the meantime, the suicide rate amongst our veterans continues to go up. Homelessness amongst veterans continues to go up. And I'm talking about right here in New Hampshire, Jack, not mm-hmm. just nationally, right? And for all the efforts and all the time, it's just, just not in the narrative. I, it's very frustrating. Now you just touched upon stuff going on in the world. There's two wars, two hot spots right now, minimum. You still have the interest of, commun- uh, you know, of China. You're worried about the North Korea. 
Tehran, right? Right. All this stuff going on. Putin out there, unpredictable or rather predictable. I mean, look at the money he's making from this war in Ukraine with higher crude oil and natural gas prices. But anyway, in less than 1% serve, less than 1% serve in our active military, a country of 330 million people. And I don't know how we don't, and we have a recruitment crisis to make matters worse. That is for sure. That's correct. I think some of the, maybe the worst recruitment crisis that we can remember in the last 30 years, the the shrinking pool of, uh, you know, graduating students from high school that are actually eligible, I think it's down around 14 or 15 percent could actually pass a test to join the Army yeah. or the Marine Corps. And, you know, folks aren't just on feeling the need to serve. I and mean, we live in a very dangerous world. And I appreciate you bringing up that New Hampshire has lost yet another one of our own, Jack. I'm looking at the Never Forget plaque you have. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks to you. The, yeah. yeah, the Never Forget campaign swim of the mission has been running. Uh, and it breaks my heart every time that number increases. It's now, since since the war on terror began, 9-11, New Hampshire has now lost 95 of our own. And that number just keeps on climbing. We, you know, it was 93, you know, mm-hmm. not that long ago. Now we're at 95. Another Gold Star family in New Hampshire. And, you know, I, I want to just come back to something, um, because you've seen it, I've seen it, that with recruitment numbers becoming a bigger challenge for all branches to get young people, or even people in their 20s and 30s to join, to try to join, it's the same families that tend to have service running through their blood that answer the call. Yes. And and what I worry about with all this craziness, and I call it craziness, whether you want to put it under the politically correct or the woke umbrella, but this crap that has been happening on some of our best college campuses, and I'm sorry to say it if you're a political science professor, and I was a political science major and I had great professors at UVM, I apologize if I'm offending you, but too many of these professors with an anti-American agenda who don't have the guts to put their name on a ballot and run for office, want to become politicians or political activists in the classrooms and tell young people how bad America is, how we're the problem, how our military industrial complex, our energy policies, our country, we, you, your parents, we're the problem. So why would an 18 or 19 year old person want to go home and say to mom and dad, you know, I think I want to join the national guard and maybe, um, maybe uh, join the military on the side or, Go to ROTC when they've had professors basically spewing an anti-American agenda for about 20 years in this country on some of the Ivy League campuses are the worst. Yeah, I know. And then you watch the the military just like doing backflips, trying to figure out, you know, how how to address some of the stuff. And, you know, you hear stupid things like the, the, the head of the Navy SEALs about a year ago at WARCOMs. He runs WARCOM, Admiral you know, said something like the greatest strength of the Navy SEALs is its diversity, right? I mean, I thought it was their ability to run, shoot, swim, or, or you know, be a parachute, team. right? To be a team. Uh, you know, I, I don't think diversity really factors into, you know, their mission, yeah. right? They don't care. They don't care who's there. They're no, all they're, brothers, you know? They're all together and they depend on each other. It doesn't matter where they came from, who they are, what they are. They become that to stay alive. And, yeah, yeah. And, but on this issue, Jack, just a couple other points. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I hear, I, and I talk to some very informed uh, people about this, I hear some of the critics about recruiting. 20, 30 years ago in that time span, uh, the, you know, a lot of the Army bases got moved from, uh, from places like New York City, you know, from the inner cities, and they moved them to very rural parts of the country where the population is much lower. 
and and kind of like hidden then you know i think they did that for security reasons mm -hmm. but as a result you know the, the 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 moving out of those communities they've not now been able to go back and recruit from the same communities because there's nobody there that's in the military you know i think that was a you know just another mistake that they made uh, along the way to add to compound all these problems but the other i think myself the thing that's killing them the most and it's just, it's a community-wide problem. It's not just the military. It's the stigma around mental health. Uh, you know, we, we had in the greatest generation, we had soldiers and Marines and airmen and so forth coming back from World War II, and they were shell-shocked. I think that's what they called them, right? But they but they had PTS, and they had traumatic brain sure injuries. and Some and, for the rest of their life. It, yep. Exactly. And then we saw that again with the Korean War and the Vietnam era, Right. Uh, and, and and still seeing that playing out now, and now we see it during 9-11. You know, when is the military going to take responsibility for this so-called stigma, get rid of the stigma, and take this on head-on instead of leaving it to the VA and, and to, you know, a very large group of veteran service organizations that are the only ones really tackling this? Hence one reason why you and your Better, Smarter, Prettier have started Swim of the Mission, because you saw the gaps, you saw what you could do, and look what you've done in other groups out there. Well, you know, the other thing, and I, you and I have talked a lot about this, and it was one impetus why a friend and a bu couple buddies, we got Fusion Cell going, is the military's has to focus on recruitment, so there's yes. a bigger recruitment, so they're going to put more emphasis in the front end. Then they get someone in, they want to retain that person, right? Can't blame them, keep them in. They want them to have a career in the military, but they don't really think about when they leave. And if young people hear that we don't take good care of our veterans physically or mentally or mental health or physical health, why would they go and go through those rigors if they don't feel that we have them on the back end. So that's one issue to your point. Right. Now, the other thing, and I want to maybe touch upon this, and we'll come back. You, I got a note from you this morning. You're going to a, a movie tonight in Portsmouth? I am at the Music Hall. Yeah, the Music Tell Hall. Tell us about it. In, in Portsmouth. So uh, a movie called Hell or High Seas, and I, I actually have not seen it, so I'm really looking forward to, to, to seeing it. And it's a movie about a U.S. Navy veteran, Taylor Grieger, um, who really went on the adventure of a lifetime, you know, who was struggling with mental health issues and, and tackled the Mount Everest of sailing, you know, which is around Cape Horn. Mm -hmm. And the movie is about that adventure. It's about a journey of healing. And um, he's going to be there tonight uh, to, to speak to that journey after the movie. And I'm going to be speaking on a panel with him. I'm going to be speaking about New Hampshire's efforts and what we're doing here locally but it's so great, right, Jack? You've talked about this a lot. We need to make more movies. We need to write more books about this and try to reduce the stigma uh, in our veteran community. And so I'm so excited to be able to go and see this movie tonight. And I hope, folks, I think there are still some tickets available. And, and if they go check out, um, it's the Music Hall. Just go to the Music Hall website, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, and cool. uh, be able to get tickets for it. It's going to be great. That's tonight. Phil Todd, we're talking a little bit about uh, some veterans' issues and stuff. And, you know, before we segue to some of the current events politically, Phil, in our studios, I, I just had to, you know, we we're talking about mental health. And I think one reason why I focused uh, a month or two ago and did the three-hour show on mental health, anxiety, depression, suicide, and addiction is I'm looking at it in our veteran community and in all our community and all families. And I'm amazed that when I when I'm at home at night or on the weekends and you're watching big sporting event or you're streaming and you're watching, you know, just a fun show and you're sitting there, if the show has ads, the ads are all about 
take this pill for weight loss, take this pill for blood pressure, you know, take this pill for this. And it's all big pharma, no disrespect. And of course, I love the side effects. It's usually everyone kayaking, throwing the tennis ball into the lake or river and the dog, and everyone's dancing in a good mood. And then, the, of course, J-Dog's nodding. The side effects are this can cause death, suicide, stroke, heart attack, whatever. But go ahead. No, you know what I mean, the disclaimers. But you don't see an ad where a seemingly normal person or couple or just people are doing something that people would normally do, whether it's sitting down, having dinner, or in a restaurant say, hey, I'm, I, I don't feel good mentally. I'm depressed. I'm not doing well. You don't see any acknowledgement on the number one health issue that most people face, depression, anxiety, stress. Young people, after the crap of a few years ago, you talk to any teachers or caregivers on young people on how messed up they are emotionally, colleges, adults, seniors living alone, depression, and then, of course, addiction. And, and you don't you don't see it. It's the number one health issue, more than stroke, more than heart attack. And, and a lot of people don't even know that last year the number one cause of death in America for young people under 40 was a drug overdose. Where where are the commercials on this stuff? It really is something, isn't it? Right? Is it, is it, it no you... money can be made? Is that why? Well, I mean, if, if people don't fully appreciate and understand, like, the role of big pharma, you know, in, in our community and and the lock that they have on Washington, D.C., that's just one of many reasons why Donald Trump's going to be the next president. You know, it's big pharma has a hold on everything. I, I can't get over the fact, and we don't really even talk about it, you know, dur- during COVID, in, in when the government was handing out billions of dollars to, to big pharma, and, and big pharma did do a good job, give them credit, in, in getting the quickly. vaccines done, right? They did a even good job. Even if we don't know anything about it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they did, but they... But, let me tell you, they got a ton of money, and what they did with that money is they quietly settled all of the class action lawsuits that were pending against them as a result of the opioid crisis. Have we forgotten about the opioid crisis really? and how it started and 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 big farmers, you know, role in all of this? Yeah, oxy, don't worry, it's not addictive. Don't worry. Not exactly. Don't, take these 30 pills, you're not going to get addicted. Correct. And in, yeah. in every school, in every town in New Hampshire, you know, kids... Kids took their own lives, lost their lives. Things, terrible things happened as a result of that. And New Hampshire included, you know, got huge payments from class action lawsuits during COVID. And it's just money going in a circle. Isn't that crazy how That's, money comes out of Washington of to pay for this? Right. And how do wow. we let that happen? They, because no one really peels back the onion. Right. And, you know, I've had John Delena more than once on my show. He's now one of the senior DEA officials in the in the country and he said to me and a lot of people don't know this you probably know it to your point about the past and the opioid the oxys that it was almost 20 years right take a pill ankle surgery don't take extra state extra thank tylenol or this or that take this oxy don't worry it'll be fine or all these other addictive drugs we were it's one of the biggest scams ever right yes okay do you know and right now we have the synthetic fentanyl crisis still in New England on our streets. This one pill can kill. This stuff is, yes. they're lacing the Adderall, prescription medication. They're putting it in everything. Cocaine, it's everywhere. The two leading multi-billion dollar cartels studied states going back to uh, El Chapo when he and his brother stayed at the Wentworth Hotel on a boat. This is There's a federal case in Concord Federal Court against El Chapo's brother wow. and El Chapo. And they looked where to 
And back then it was more cocaine, heroin before fentanyl. Right. Who were the most addictive states? And they got all the information from the CDC. New Hampshire, Northeast, New England was like the most addicted, wealthiest market. So then the drug channels up to Lawrence and Lowell, into New Hampshire, into Portland, Maine. And they purposely targeted us because of a high addiction rate because of the opioids. Wow. They knew what they were doing, and it worked. And look at the price we're paying. And I think about all this stuff. I mean, what is wrong with our society? You were, you were complaining about the media earlier today in politics, but but where is the media? You know, tobacco companies were swearing that, that you couldn't get cancer from cigarettes. That turned out not to be true, right? Now the tobacco companies are in the vaping and yep. all that space. They can't wait for marijuana, you know, to no longer be a stage one narcotic so we can go federal, right? right and all right. the tobacco companies would be behind that. And then, you know, we've got the forever plastics that are showing up in Teflon. And every time you eat a McDonald's burger, you're getting a forever plastic that you're eating, right? And that stuff's just coming to light right now. And so it just keeps going. If it's not our food killing us, it's the vaping. If it's not the vaping, it's the narcotics. You know, why aren't we talking about all this stuff, you know? Well, we had a, a friend of yours on uh, yesterday, Joe Matarisi from Medicus, was talking about some of the rearview stuff on healthcare that we learned yeah. from the vaccines and COVID. And of course, you know, he's very outspoken. He's had symposiums. But he shared a story about Robert F. Kennedy Jr., which I've only heard once, that when Kennedy was younger and was mainly known as an environmental attorney, that was his big thing. Right. Right? He became fe- uh, friendly with Roger Ailes at Fox when... Ailes was running Fox, and Fox was the number one news, and O'Reilly was there, and Fox was cruising, right? So they, they, they struck up a friendship, and Kennedy used to come on and talk about some of the contrary environmental stuff. When he, when he started criticizing the COVID vaccines, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., on Fox, the story Joe shared, and I guess it's true, Ailes has now passed away. Ailes called Kennedy on his cell phone five minutes after he got off, Hannity or... O'Reilly questioning Pfizer and Moderna the vaccine. And Ailes said, look, you can talk about anything you want on my network. Get off the COVID vaccine stuff. And Kennedy said, why? He goes, I think there's heavy metals in there. I think it's a, it's a sequence where a spike protein can cause rapid heart rate, all this stuff. I think that they're going to screw us over. You can't talk about it. 70% of our revenue at night advertising is from those pharmaceuticals. Right. So you don't talk about it. Right. Because money is more important than people's lives. That's exactly right. It's been that story in this country for way too long. All right. Do you want to put on a political hat for a moment? Sure. Is there anything to talk about? I thought the election was over. Well, you you (laughs) actually have been saying for a while that you thought it would take shape like this. And I had my doubts on the Democrat side with Biden just because of his stage and age in life. But I guess the fix is in. No one cares if he knows what day it is or if he gets what years he was vice president. Those aren't my words. That's from the special counsel's report. So here we go. Biden and Trump, no question. Oh, yeah. Biden and Trump. Biden and Trump. I mean, Nikki's hanging in there. God bless her. But she's had, had, what, four years, three years to make her case. Uh, And a lot of others, just as good, you know, Tim Scott, Mike Pence, Asa Hutchins, you know, Governor DeSantis. They all try to make their case, and the voters have been picking Trump. You know, whether you understand that, whether you agree with it. The voters, that's what the voters want, and the same thing's going to happen in South Carolina. They're going to pick Trump, and they're going to go down to Super Tuesday, and every one of those states, including Florida, is going to pick Trump. So I don't know how long Nikki's going to hang in there, but it is going to be Trump, and Trump versus Biden. And the only way I see Biden winning is if Biden's not on the ticket, but I don't see that happening, Jack. And and I come at this, 
I, you have a lot of very smart people that come on your show, and they know the ins and outs of Washington. And I don't know any of that, but I do oh, know yeah, people. <laughs> I, I know people, Jack. And you know, people in are all the same at the end of the day. There is too much power in being the president of the United States mm-hmm. to give that up. And so, whether you're married to the president. Whether you are, yeah, he's not chi- going to take himself out because he's having forgetful days. No way, right. uh, no right. way. His right. wife's not taking him out. His chief of staff's not fairness, taking him Reagan out. Reagan didn't in the end either. No, no, yeah. that's right. It, it, um, this is not to be too critical of Biden. This is just human nature. No, you're right. You're right. And 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 you think any of them are thinking like, what's in the best interest of the people of of America? What's in the best interest of our party? No, that's not the way stuff works. Right? They're thinking about themselves, their jobs, and access to the most powerful office in the world, and they're not giving that up. No way, no how. Okay, so let's talk on the other side. Who does Trump pick? Yeah, I see he's putting the word out there on, uh, you a know, few. I, uh, on a few. You know, obviously Tim Scott really wants it. And I see he added Klobuchar to the list, which is super interesting because, you know, if if I was on the Democrat side, I'd think about putting her on top of the ticket and take Biden out. Have Klobuchar and Harris? Could you imagine? They would probably win all day long. Uh, but you think of course, she would consider that with Trump? You know what it is. Uh, I think anyone who gets asked back to human nature, no, no matter what has happened in the past, you have to think about I, it. they will because you know what? You know for sure that Trump's going to be a one-term president, and as as chaotic a ride as that's going to be, and Trump, by the way, good chance he's going to be in state prison somewhere. During his presidency, right? So it's really going to be chaotic. Can you picture this? I, I mean, people better start getting that in their mind. He's going to lose those state cases. He's going to end as, as long as they go. If they get delayed till after his president, no, no, a judge will confine him to house arrest in the White House. Something, like, but he's going to be. Yeah, he's going to lose those cases. I'm telling you, those juries will indict anybody. And so it's not about the merits. Isn't just it? just where they brought him, he is going to lose. He's going to pardon all the January 6th folks, which is going to make half this country insane. Uh, it's going to be super chaotic. But if you're the vice president, you know... You're sitting there knowing you got a 50% chance next time. Yes, you you are the presumptive nominee to be the next president of the United States, and that could be an eight-year run. So you know what? It's worth, it's worth it. And Pence, Pence tried it too, right? I I don't I don't see anybody saying no. I don't know who it's going to be uh, at the end of the day. Now, to be what, honest, what do you but, say to you mentioned Governor Sununu earlier and others and Nikki Haley's been saying it that Trump cannot win a general election with independence against Biden. What do you say today to that? Nope. I think Trump's going to win. I, I I don't see how Biden can win this race right now. He's got so many problems with his own party. Uh, they, but again, look, you and I know independents decide these elections. Yeah, they they do. And they, are they going to vote with their wallets and pocketbooks? They are, and they're going to worry about national security. You know, f- as chaotic as this country, I think, is going to be inside our country. I think Iran is going to be running for the hills if Trump is president. Things will get better in Israel. Um, I think that China will—they will, will they won't stop, you know, hitting us with cybersecurity stuff— but they're probably not going to try to take Taiwan in the next four years. I think I think that China will be in a better place with them for four years. I think Putin's going to be very scared. I think the best opportunity to finally just get some sort of peace in the Ukraine is going to be Trump coming in. But if it's Biden, it's the exact opposite. You mm-hmm. know. Do you think Robert F. Kennedy Jr. speaking him as an independent? 
can get on enough ballots, including New Hampshire, where New Hampshire's four electoral college votes, believe it or not, could make a difference in a close election. You think Kennedy, because Manchin's not running, Christie may go as no labels, but I can't see where no labels is anymore. They're, I think they they missed it. So my question is, do you think Kennedy gets on enough ballots to affect the, the seesaw battle Biden-Trump? Yeah, look, I know early in the race was a lot of speculation that he would hurt uh, Trump more than Biden. And, and so we'll have to see a little bit how that how that plays out. And this is the craziness. In the history of our country, I don't think there's been a better time for a third party candidate and yet we don't see it. to win. And it's not going to happen. And again, I, know. I, I, I have very basic reasoning. The only thing Democrats and Republicans agree on is there's never going to be a third party to usurp them because the there'll system. be no going back. It's the system. Yeah. It's almost impossible to break or change. No, that that's exactly right. And even a state like New Hampshire, you know, where it might be close between Biden and Trump, Trump brings out folks to vote right now that probably wouldn't otherwise vote, you know. And so that I think that more than makes up for whatever independents are going to do or having Kennedy on the on the ballot and so forth. And I think you'll see that translate into a lot of states. And the other thing, Jack, you just can't get over, and we just went through this in New Hampshire. You know, I was pushing a lot of people I know, who are you voting for, figuring mm-hmm. they voted mm-hmm. for Trump before, they're going to vote for him. They wouldn't admit it. And then and then the voting happened, and now they've admitted it after the fact. People don't want to admit they're going to vote for Trump, especially independents, but they're going to vote for Trump. Outspoken predictiveness. I appreciate it. All right, I'm going to hold the thought. We'll come back talk about some state stuff. Good morning, New Hampshire, the Pulse of an H. On a pretty good-looking Thursday, Jack Heath, J-Dog, and the board's back in a few. Someone who was listening diligently from our nation's capital, hopefully not from a cigar shop, because, you know, they can have cigar shops in Washington, but not here. I'm just kidding. Maybe in Portsmouth and Dover. Uh, Matthew Bartlett, Darby Field Advisors. Phil Todd, Matthew, was listening and can always correct us. But uh, good morning, Matthew. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, good morning. Yeah, down here in Sin City, not at the cigar bar yet, but we're going to fix that in about an hour. Oh, you got to cut back, right, Phil? Yeah, I tell you what, you know, it's a travesty having Matt on a radio show. This guy belongs on television because there's no better looking guy in Washington, D.C., Jack. He's, he's wasted on radio. There you go. You know, I, I love Phil, but it sounds like he's been drinking already, <laughs> so we're just going to let it slide. Um, yes, I probably uh, deserve to be in a mental asylum. I think we can all agree on that, but uh, whatever. It's a hell of a line of work and a hell of a town here. Um, but w- just listening to you guys, you know, it's amazing, unbelievable um, analysis, um, and it's such a disruptive time. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, DeSantis gave an interview last night that was actually quite interesting, mm-hmm. actually blaming a lot of his former staff that kind of he fired and went to Trump um, for part of his downfall. But in terms of, like, Biden-Trump, like, who knows how this cookie's going to crumble? Um, you know, Nikki Haley actually is outraising Donald Trump this quarter, which is shocking. Trump is low on money. He could be in uh, a bunch of court cases. Um, of course, he could also get $4 billion from his Truth Social deal. But That's you, kind of being underreported. But you know, Matthew, real quickly, because I remember this was brought up in 2016, Phil and Matthew, when people said, well, Trump's having his rallies, but he's not raising money, and he's not really advertising, but he's having his rallies, and he comes in and fill a place seventeen, twenty thousand people, and he won. Right. So when you and and you know this this New York City civil fraud case, which I think was a joke, but it's not financially to Trump. When the attorney general wants to maybe freeze assets and seize, that. so he's got to deal with that. And his PAC is paying probably I don't know twenty million dollars a month in legal fees. So he may not be raising the money Biden is, but when you're Trump, 
do you really need to raise campaign money because Donald Trump's the brand? Yeah, I would say no. I, I don't think Trump needs to raise a lot of money. He needs, he needs a fair amount of money for legal fees. But uh, is there anybody in America who doesn't know who Donald Trump is and what he stands for? Because, again, at the root of his support is this idea of disrupting Washington, D.C. Yeah. At the people, end of people it. People don't understand that. Yeah, they don't. They well, think it's about Trump. I would, I would just say he drags out, and I think, Phil, you pointed out, an amazing amount of people uh, to come vote for him. People that have never voted before, that are disillusioned, maybe with both parties, um, and they will absolutely show up for him. Consequently, he drives maybe even more people out to vote against him. You're right. Maybe they don't like Joe Biden. Maybe they yeah. have problems with the Democratic Party. But if Trump is the top of the ticket, they're going to be there. They don't want to go back. Um, this might be, yet again, another election where people are not voting for the person, maybe, um, as much as, like, you know, voting against them. And there's no gray, right? There's no gray. You're either, you know, the, well, though Phil mentioned that he thinks a lot more independent people might vote for Trump in a general, but they won't admit it. Yes. I mean, we, we saw in Iowa, 30 percent of the party said if he's convicted, we're not doing that. New Hampshire, 50 percent of those, you know, of their voting. So it's not going to happen. So who knows? Um, Donald Trump is a rare bird in American politics. Rare bird. We, uh, I don't think if we ever seen anything close to this, you two would no. be good people to ask. I, I'm trying to think back to the 1870. I, I don't think we've seen anything close to this. I mean, you could say Teddy Roosevelt was a character, but nothing like this. Right. Listen, I'm a former appointee, right? I resigned on January 6th in utter disgust. Four years, had some amazing wins, incredibly proud of some of the work. He's a rare bird, resigned, um, you know, in disgrace, a very, very shameful day. And now I'm looking at the New York case going, oh, my God, it, what, what is, you know, there's absolutely no victim. And they just had a kangaroo court say, you owe us half a billion dollars and we're going to, it's outrageous. So, yeah, um, you know, it makes a person like me say, pump the brakes a bit. It's just unbelievable, unprecedented, uh, disruptive times in American politics. Do you agree with Phil and others or there's no moving Biden out. He is the nominee no matter what, even if his forgetfulness gets more forgetful that he's the one. I mean, let's just be clear. He can't get the keys away. This is a guy that was, you know, from an 80-year-old, much less a presidency. And they're, they all believe, and I actually tend to agree, Joe Biden's probably the best candidate. Do you think Kamala Harris, uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, is going to play well in Pennsylvania? Um, why did Joe win? Because the baby boom generation trusts him, like it or not. Um, he's seen as, you know, they've been, he's been ubiquitous in American politics as a vice president. He has relationships with the African-American community. He has relationships, you know, with, with disaffected Republicans. But he, also I has a, he's but he also has a record now. 100%. 100%. Yes, he's come down. I'm not, sure, I'm not convinced he's actually going to win, but I can't tell you if there's a better candidate out there. You think That's the liberal point. governor of California is going to somehow play better in Pennsylvania? I don't see it. Yeah, it's an interesting point. As opposed to Joe from Scranton, he's got flaws. He's not invincible. There's no way, but he can absolutely win. Let's just be clear. And again, you know, um, if you're the top of the ticket, if you have Trump, part of the reason he is running is he believes that he vanquished and, him in 2020, and he's the but, only guy. That but can to do your it again. point, Matthew, look at how many people try to beat Trump this time around. Well, to your point, who can who's who's better on the Republican side to run right now? Because obviously, no one else has beaten Trump in the primaries. A great question. Uh, again, Republican voters seem to be, you know, a year ago, um, uh, DeSantis was leading in the polls. Electability seems to be the Achilles heel of Trump voters, uh, uh, um, Trump supporters. And, you know, we've seen no polling. beat him in the primary. All right, Matthew, Darby Field, yeah. thank you. Make it a great one Thursday. Thanks All for right, checking boy. in on a cameo. Phil Taub will talk soon on some veteran stuff. Hey, Google, hey, X, play the pulse of an H. Make it a good one.